our Bible open to John chapter 6. Jesus said some important words that we would do very, very well to follow on this Labor Day weekend. Listen to this. Brother Eric read it beautifully while ago. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Labor not for that meat which perisheth. Tomorrow marks the 100th anniversary of Labor Day. Well, really more than 100 years. It began in 1894 when President Grover Cleveland signed a bill setting aside the first Monday in September as a time to honor the nation's working people. Before this, the day had been a state holiday here and there, but now it is a national holiday. Jesus said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And in John 9, 4, he declared, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. In a Labor Day speech at Syracuse, New York in 1903, President Theodore Roosevelt said, no man needs sympathy because he has to work. Far and away the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at work, a work worth doing. Often we have funerals. I never get used to them. They're always difficult. But many, many times I ride to the cemetery an air-conditioned car in the heat of summer. The hottest place in the world in the summer is a cemetery. The coldest place in the winter is a cemetery. And many times when we carry the casket to the grave, I notice over there the grave diggers, the people that have been there before we got there, prepared everything, made it beautiful, and they're standing over Almost always, I go out of my way to go over and speak to them. And I sometimes say, you and I have the same responsibility. Our clothes may be different, but our work is honorable. Whether you're a ditch digger, or a factory worker, an office worker, a teacher, or a preacher, work is honorable. And on this Labor Day weekend, we recognize and honor those who work. Christians and the Lord's Church on this day have reemphasized the truth which the Bible teaches concerning the honor of real work. The importance of just and human labor conditions and relations. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. In Psalm 20, 127, 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build. In 1 Corinthians 3, We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. 
you're God's building. In Psalm 90, verses 16 and 17, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. As we consider the words of Jesus in John 6, 27, labor not for that which perisheth, I want to ask you to think with me about three words on this Labor Day weekend. Number one, foolish or fable misinformation. A fable is a fictional narrative or statement, sometimes a false presupposition. I want to apply this word to the attitude which is prevalent today. Well, to try every way we can to avoid work. Let George do it. Get out of it if at all possible. This is the, illustrate, the, the attitude that is illustrated by the child at home who seldom or never accepts responsibilities. The teen who wants to play but never work. The laborer who is just a clock watcher, never really putting himself into his work, wants more pay with shorter hours. I've sometimes said to young people, and not only young people, adults looking for a job, if you want to be really valuable to the people you work with, come a little bit early and stay a little bit late. And when you come to the break, if you have a 10-minute break, take six minutes. Why, you say, that's not even fair. You try it and see how valuable you become to your employer. The employer who underpays his employees really wants them to work for nothing. That sort of the way it is today. It's a foolish fable to teach either by precept or example that the Bible has nothing to say concerning the laborer and his work. Note concerning labor in Ephesians 6, 5, Servants, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. In Acts 3.22, Colossians 3.22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. In 1 Timothy 6.1, As let my servants be as under the yoke of their master, worthy of all honor that the name of God be not blasphemed. In Titus 2.9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. In 1 Peter 2.18, servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Now concerning the employee, in Deuteronomy 24:15, prompt payment of wages 
at the day when they're supposed to be given. And a good understanding of what the money is going to be. In Job 31, 13, consideration for the employees. If I did not despise the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when thou contendest with me, what then shall I do when God riseth up? And when he visited me, what shall I answer him? In Ephesians 6, 9, refrain from threats, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master is in heaven. In Colossians 4, 1, just dealing. Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. In Leviticus 19.13, do not delay payment of wages. In Jeremiah 22.13, expecting service without wages. Woe to him that useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. In Malachi 3.5, failure to pay a living wage, judgment on those who oppress the hireling. The Bible has much to say both to management and to employees. Sometimes we don't understand. I grew up in the Depression years, in the days of John L. Lewis. To some of you, John L. Lewis is some far-fetched character from the moon. You've never heard of him. He was the union man of that era. And in those days, the miners owed their soul to the company store. The management would not permit people to buy anywhere except from the company store, and they would charge the account. And the only money that some of the, manage, some of the employees would ever receive is paying their bill, their grocery bill at the store, because they did not receive just wages. John L. Lewis became a hero of that day. He was hated and loved. He was loved by the laborer. He was hated by the management. But he did an outstanding job. He's not here anymore. He brought laborers to a fair wage opportunity. And I'm grateful for him. Now, on the other hand, sometimes laborers demand more than is just. I'm sure there's much about the baseball problem that I did not understand. But it would have been something if those baseball players playing a game would walk out because they were only making a million dollars and they wanted two million. Now, I don't know. I'm sure I don't understand all about it. But I want to tell you, it is honorable to labor. It is honorable to be in management. And both need to treat the other as Christ would have us treat. And on this Labor Day, we need to think those things through. The Bible does have something to say to every area of our life. Now, as we think of this, I want us to think of several thoughts. Some fraudulent thinking among people. There are some people who have the attitude, get all you can get. Just get all you can get. That's the big thing in life. Fill your coffers. 
Fill the bank accounts. Do everything you can to get it. Get it honestly if you can. Get it dishonestly any way you can get it. And I think that's what happened in the problems we've just faced with Enroll and others. Build your life out of the things that are exciting and pleasing to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible has something to say about this. Paul, writing to the carnal church at Corinth, he said uh, some people build their lives out of wood, hay, and stubble. That'll all burn out. Wood, hay, and stubble, pleasure, popularity, things that please you. And that seems to be a theme today. But he said, if you really want to endure, build your life out of gold, silver, and precious stones. Because the wood, hay, and stubble all burn up. Those are temporal. Gold, silver, and precious stones are eternal. Today, when the archaeologists dig down below, below the earth, they don't find leftovers of wood, hay, and stubble. It's all gone, just ashes. But they go down there and they find a piece of gold. Or they find silver. Or they find precious stones. They've endured thousands of years. So will they in your life. When we build our life out of gold, the gold, godly character of the Lord Jesus Christ, do unto others as you would that they would do to you. When we build our lives out of silver, a concern for lost souls, Paul said, this one thing I do, I am pure from the blood of all men. For three years I went house to house and publicly with tears, pleading with people to come to Christ. Paul's been gone 2,000 years. We read him in the Bible just like he was here yesterday. And nobody that deals with literature <coughs> can ignore the writings of the Apostle Paul. They may not agree with it, but it's still there. And you build your lives out of gold, silver, and precious stones. Precious stones, when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would bear on his chest the little stones. And in those stones were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he was going there, interceding, pleading in prayer for those that he represented. And that's what you do when you pray. You go into the presence of the Lord and plead for your wife. Plead for your husband. Plead for your children. You intercede for your pastor. You intercede for your president and for congressmen and for world peace. Gold, silver, and precious stones. And I want to tell you, prayer is labor. You ever tried praying? Now I want to tell you, this little hint isn't in the sermon. It's just a aside. When you pray, if you're praying in public with people, pray loud enough so they can pray with you. You say, well, I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to God. Yeah, but have you ever noticed when somebody else is praying and they go, your mind wanders all around the world. You can't concentrate on what's being said because you're not hearing what they're praying. And when somebody prays in public, they're leading you and me to the throne of grace. And they need to do loud enough so we can all enter into it. You say, I don't believe that. Well, that's okay. I told you it wasn't part of the sermon. It's just, what, it's just thrown in for extra credit. But uh, try it. Try it. 
But you see, when you pray, if you pray in the closet, do you ever get tired? Somebody said, what do you do in an all-night prayer meeting? I prayed three minutes and was, I didn't know what else to say. Well, try it. Pray a while, sing a while, read the Word of God, pray again. Make your prayer list. At the age that most of us are in this auditorium, anywhere from, from eight years old to uh, 93 years old, <laughs> you've known enough people in your lifetime, if you'd pray for them, to pray on and on and on. And when you build your life out of prayer, you can go around the universe. You just think. God has given you the ability to be in touch immediately with somebody in Africa, somebody in Japan, somebody on Woodford Street, somebody on Roselawn, and somebody in Argentina. All in just one thought. Because in prayer, we travel at the speed of thought, just like we're going to do in heaven. Ever thought? We're not going to have to have a rocket ship in heaven or airplanes or automobiles. Now, I hope I live long enough to see automobiles come to a slow post in front of them, be able to go over them and just go on. It's very aggravating to sit behind some car that you're, you're in a 55-mile zone, they're driving 20, and there's traffic in the other lane you can't pass. Wouldn't it be good to travel over them? Well, in heaven we won't have that problem because we travel at the speed of thought. That's wonderful. But when we build our lives out of prayer, and it's labor, it is labor. Try it. It isn't easy to pray. It's not hard to get up and pray two or three minutes, and I think in public, we'll pray short prayers. People's concentration isn't very long. But when you pray by yourself, pray a while. When you drive, you have to drive 50 miles, pray the whole way. Just talk to God. If you can't think of something, say, make your prayer list ahead of time and say, Lord, I pray for this and this and this and I pray for this. And then your mind will think of somebody else and pray for them. And you say, well, what is prayer? You don't have to shout and talk in tongues to pray. You just have to talk to God like you talk to your husband or wife or children. That's prayer. And we build our lives out of that at last. Now, secondly, I want you to think of... Uh, faith. Fraudulent thinking about life, but think about faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And on this Labor Day, you and I need faith. Lord, increase our faith, the disciples faith. One man said, Lord, help me to believe. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And faith is the victory. Somebody said, faith is going as far as you can and then faking it. Wait a minute. What do you mean, faking it? Well, that means you just keep on keeping on and when you run out of feeling, you fake your feeling and go on anyway. You said it's hypocritical. Would you rather be a hypocrite of the devil or a hypocrite in the work of the Lord? I'm using it in the right sense. I don't believe any of us ought to be hypocrites. But we need faith, and faith is the victory. And faith goes to the jumping-off place and says, Lord, I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep on. And the ones that have really accomplished things in life are those who have kept on beyond the border of their own feelings. That's where faith really takes over. 
You see, I believe the Word of God. I wasn't there when Paul wrote or when Moses wrote or when Jesus lived. But this has come to us, and I believe the Word. I believe it from Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation, and I've tried it. Jesus said, whatever things you ask in faith believing, you'll receive. Try it. Now, it always has to be conditioned on not my will, but thine be done. And when we pray like that, God answers prayer, and prayer changes things. Faith. Remember, in order to qualify in faith, we need to remember who we are. We're nothing. You see, faith is not faith in yourself. Now, when you have faith in God, He comes into your heart and He gives you a certain confidence within you, but it isn't really self-confidence, it's confidence in Him. And He enables you to believe and to go forward in His faith. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not my faith, but his. And he enables me to have faith to go on. We need to remember who we are. But we also remember who he is. With God, nothing is impossible. We serve the sovereign of the universe. God is in charge. He's our boss. He's the one that created everything. And when you put your whole trust and faith in the Lord, He undergirds you. He's the platform from which you operate. He becomes your rock in a weary land until a storm passes by. And who doesn't have storms? We all have storms. As we think of who we are, we think of our jealousy our quarrelsome attitude, our things that we think, well, I wish somebody else would be like I am and uh, have the same attitudes that I have and so on. Well, that's all very good as long as our attitudes are Christ-like and filled with His Spirit. But remember that we're exceedingly selfish. We're exceedingly sinful. You and I have an old nature that is sinful. That's just all there is to it. And when we get to the idea of things, well, boy, my idea is better than yours. We're, da- we're on dangerous territory. And so we need to consider one another unto good works and serve the Lord. All right? Faith has to do with repentance. We read in the Sunday School lesson today that Paul preached repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is not a doctrine just for lost people. If you're here today, you need to repent of sin. To repent means to turn away from and turn to. An eloquent preacher preached. He preached on repentance. He said all the eloquent and beautiful things that could be said about repentance. And the people sat there and they didn't understand what he meant. An old country preacher got up and said, could I say a word? He went, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell. I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. He said, that's what repentance is, turning away from and turning to. And you and I need to do that. As Christians, we need to repent of our old attitudes, of our selfishness, of our wickedness, of our poor attitudes. And we need to repent toward God. 
if you're lost, need to repent of yourself. And leaning on yourself. And leaning on toys and things all around you. You cannot be saved by the church. You cannot be saved by baptism. If you look back in your experience and you're just depending on your baptism or your church to get you to heaven, you're of all men most miserable. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, faith involves right on. You ever heard somebody say the expression right on? Right on means get going. Don't just sit there. Keep on keeping on, even when you don't feel like it. I've told you many times about Mrs. J.C. Ragland. She used to come and sit right over here. She was 95 years old. Took, taking her home one day, Herb Cobb and I took her and we mashed her finger in the door. Can you imagine a 95-year-old lady? Oh, it hurt. I can even feel it right now. And we gently took her in the house and tried to help her and so on. About 5.30 in the afternoon, I was, I was on my way to train you. So I stopped by to see how she was, and I, she had her hat on. I said, Miss Ragland, uh, you got your hat on. So I'm ready to go. I said, where are you going? I'm going to church. Well, I said, Miss Ragland, you've got a finger that was mashed this morning. She said, well, I'll feel just as good at church as I will at home. I'm going. Now, that's what I'm talking about, beyond your feelings. Faith takes over beyond your feelings. And on this Labor Day weekend, let's not operate just on how we feel, but on faith. Ms. Gross is here this morning, and I'm not picking on anybody. <laughs> I don't mean to embarrass Ms. Gross. She's here all the time. A few weeks ago, it was pouring down rain, pouring down rain. She came in, and Harold and I tried to keep her from getting wet, but she got soaked. Her wheelchair got soaked. That thing she sits on got soaked. She came all through church, went home. On the way home, she said, could you take, she has a little thing, she sits on a little cushion. She said, could you take that and dry it out? <laughs> I said, sure I will. <laughs> she was ready to go the next time. There's somebody else in the nursing home that said, I don't feel like going today. She gets up and goes other places, but she just didn't feel like going today. A lot of people stayed home from church. Maybe you're listening by radio and you just didn't feel like going. We need to go beyond our feelings. When you work, how many of you, you don't have to lift your hands, how many of you worked until you were so tired you just couldn't go another step and you paused and asked God for a little bit more strength and you got it and you kept on going? They call that a second wind or a third wind or something else like that. Those people run in a race. <laughs> you and I need that. We need a second or third wind and not just give up to our feelings. Now, last of all, as we think of this Labor Day, I want you to think of the final report. Fraudulent thinking, faith and faithfulness, and the final report. You and I are headed toward the station. Some years ago, somebody wrote a song that I like. We don't sing it in church very much. Life is like a mountain railroad with an engineer that's brave. We must make the run successful from the cradle to the grave. Watch the curves, the fills, the tunnels. Never falter, never quail. Keep your hand upon the throttle and your eye upon the rail. 
You will roll up grades of trial. You will cross the bridge of strife. See that Christ is your conductor on the lightning train of life. Always mindful of obstruction. Do your duty, never fail. Keep your hand upon the throttle and your eye upon the rail. You will often find obstructions. Look for storms of wind and rain. On a fill or curve or trestle, they'll almost ditch your train. Put your trust alone in Jesus. Never falter, never fail. Keep your hand upon the throttle and your eye upon the As you pull across the trestle, spanning Jordan's swelling tide, you behold the Union Depot into which your train will guide. There you will meet the superintendent, God the Father, God the Son, with a hearty, joyful plaudit. Weary pilgrim, welcome home. We're on our way on a journey. And one day, we're going to have our final report. Wouldn't you like to hear him say, Welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Our Father, we're all laborers in this room. Some labor in one area. Others labor in other areas. We're all laborers. We pray that we recognize that management are laborers. Manager recognize that laborers are laborers. That in the church of God, we recognize that each of us has a niche to fill, a very important responsibility. And may we labor looking forward to that final report. Welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. We pray that those within our sound of our voice today who are not saved would come to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. 468, without him I can do nothing. What an appropriate song to sing this morning. We sang a while ago, we'll work till Jesus comes. And without him, all is vain. As we sing this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never been saved, I want to plead with you to come to Christ just like you are. Don't turn him away. Don't say no. And if you are saved, are you doing what God wants with your life? Are you serving Him? God help you to do that. There's some that are out on the periphery. The Bible speaks of carnal Christians. Well, listen to this. There are two kinds of carnal Christians. One are babes in Christ. You just got saved. And you, there's not too much you know spiritually, but you need to grow. That's where we have training in you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But after you've been saved a while and you're still worldly and fleshy, the Bible calls you a carnal Christian. Move up from there. Move into the area of a spiritual Christian, spirit-filled. The people here today that ought to become part of this church fellowship, you do what God tells you to do. While we sing and while we pray, Will you come doing what God says?